self-control that is the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. Really what it means, it means when the Spirit of God takes such control and influence in your life that in the face of temptation, now all of a sudden that temptation is met with the conviction of the Holy Spirit where when we're convicted not to give into that temptation and then we meet that conviction with repentance and we turn and we walk away. That's what this self-control is. Self-control sounds like a personal goal. Simply, you're white-knuckling through some sort of temptation, deciding that you're the hope you need. Well, Pastor Daniel will share a different and better perspective today. When you're filled with the fruit of the Spirit, self-control means that you're allowing the Spirit to guide you and convict you if there's a problem. You then get to turn away from that temptation and turn to Jesus. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Matthew chapter 5 as he continues his message, The Beauty of Self-Control. Why is joy important? Because we've said it before, that joy is the disposition of a heart that knows and trusts that God is good even when nobody else is. See, joy is not that everything works out the way you want it to. Joy is what happens when you know that your God is good even when everyone else is evil. And you realize that he's got something that he's doing in you in the midst of this thing. See, friends and sisters, we live in a world where we get challenged for all sorts of things. But for some reason, in 21st century America, the people of God kind of slink away from people getting upset with them for their faith, but they don't get upset with them for anything else, right? It's like, so if somebody doesn't agree with your politics, you're going to go tooth and nail to make sure that they change their mind. But if someone doesn't agree with your faith in Jesus, you're like, oh, I probably shouldn't talk about Jesus anymore. And that, my friends, is the problem. Because Jesus said, oh, how happy, oh, how fortunate are you when they revile you, when they speak evil falsely of you for my name's sake, when they persecute you. Now, what's amazing is, listen to what James says it this way. So Jesus said it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, James says it this way in James 1, verses 2 to 5. He says, my brethren, count it all joy. Notice the word joy there. When you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. See, James says, listen, when you fall into trials, when reviling and slandering and all this stuff happens to you, you're persecuted, count it joy. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith will produce patience in your life. Now, wasn't patience one of the fruit of the Spirit? Yes, it was. It was the fourth characteristic. And it says, and then let this patience... Have its perfect work in you that you may be 
It says perfect here. That word perfect means fully mature. That you may be fully mature. And then it says, and complete, lacking nothing. And then James pivots just a little bit. He says, and if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally without reproach and it will be given to him. Now, I love this because he's saying, look, when your faith is tested, when you're persecuted or slandered, count it a joy. Why? Because that is going to produce patience in you. Now, you don't just stop at patience because you want patience to continue to the work that you might grow up, that you might become mature, that you might become complete, and that you might lack nothing. But if you do find that you're lacking something, like wisdom, you could say, Lord, I don't understand what's going on right now, and God will give that wisdom to you liberally and without reproach. See, what you begin to realize is that these struggles and challenges that happen to you, God leverages them. They're not just problems. They're purposeful in God's kingdom to grow you. So it doesn't mean that we like them, but we realize that God's got a plan. And I think that for many of us right now, the biggest struggle that we are having is that God is actually answering our prayers through the struggles that we're experiencing, but we don't realize that it's God's answer to prayer. See, really what we want is we want our spiritual growth to be like the way your apps download on your phone. Where it just downloads behind the scenes, and while you sleep, it just upgrades, and then you just get better. Right? I'm always about opening up an app, it's all new, like, when did that happen? Well, I was sleeping. But the thing is that you want your spiritual growth to be that way, but it doesn't work that way. Listen, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have been perfected by the finished work of Jesus. The blood of Jesus cleanses a person from all unrighteousness. But the implementation of that in real time where you live happens in every single experience you're having. So how many times have you said, Lord, will you humble me? <laughs> you know not. To, you better be ready if you pray that prayer, my friends. Say, Lord, humble me, and then something happens, and all your pride is going crazy. I can't believe that's happened. I can't believe they said that to me. It's like, well, Lord, if you pray and say, Lord, say, you pray for humility, have at it. Whatever you do, don't pray for patience, my friends. <laughs> I don't understand why the Lord's taking so long. It's the worst. I mean, I've been waiting forever, but I pray for patience. Jesus' transformation in your life, that justification happens in a moment when you say yes. And the sanctification, you experiencing all that that means happens at every moment. Every up and down, every victory and defeat, everything that you wanted and didn't want. That's where it happens. And God loves you enough to say, I'm going to put things in your world that you are not going to prefer, but it will accomplish my purposes. You don't believe me? Listen, not only did Jesus say this, and James said what he said, but listen to what Peter says. First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 14. It says, beloved, I love this. Before it said brethren, now it's beloved, you loved ones, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed... You may also be glad with exceeding joy. For you are reproached for the name of Christ. Blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed. But on your part he is glorified. See, Peter says, listen. Don't think it's strange when you're following Jesus and strange stuff goes on. 
What? But in that moment, realize that you're partaking in the very sufferings of the Savior who you follow. See, we love to talk about the cross, and we should, because the Apostle Paul said, God forbid that I should preach anything except Jesus Christ and him crucified. God forbid I boast in anything except the cross of Jesus Christ. But you realize Jesus at the cross sacrificed his life for us. He stood in our place as a substitute. But that also means that you and I follow a persecuted Messiah. We follow a man who on every single page of the Gospels was challenged and pushed against. People didn't receive him or believe in him. But for the joy that was set before him, he kept going. And when you and I are reviled and slandered and persecuted, we have to remember that we're partaking of Christ's sufferings. That if they did it to Jesus, then if they do it to me, what's the problem? Because I follow a persecuted savior. You know, I love our founding pastor, Pastor Bill. I love this guy so much. And I remember in just the weeks leading up to the time when he allowed me to become the senior pastor here at Crossroads, he said, he's like, you know what's going to happen, Daniel? I'm like, what? He's like, people are going to say all sorts of stuff about you and you're not going to say anything. And I'm like, really? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, all sorts of things are going to be said about you. And he's like, and you know what you're going to do? I'm like, uh, no. And he's like, He's like, you're going to rejoice and you're not going to say a word because that's what a spiritual leader does. And I'm like, now I get why you brought me here, bro. You know, and he laughed, you know what I mean? Was like, and you know, Pastor Bill's laugh is just the best. It's like, it's a whole soul laugh when he laughs, you know, his eyes get all bright. But what's amazing is, is that like every time I hear something crazy about myself, which was literally like about 15 minutes ago. Literally. (laughs) It's one thing to receive it, but it's another thing to rejoice in the midst of it. And that's what God wants to do. You see, our culture says if someone reviles you, you revile them back. If someone speaks ill of you falsely, you lie about them. And Jesus says, no, no, no. When that happens, you don't say anything and you just rejoice because they did it to me. They're going to do it to you. What's the problem? See, we begin to realize that when it happens to us, God's got a different plan. Notice he says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, verse 12, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Listen, you and I have to remember, you're not the only one either. See, part of this, part of living a beautiful life is that you are stepping into the organic reality of the redeemed people of God, who there is a great cloud of witnesses who got persecuted before you had it. There's all sorts of people who suffered way worse than we suffer because of their testimony of Jesus. And when you remember that you're not the only one, it changes. See, what it does is, I think one of the things that God is always trying to do, and especially this is important for us where we live in this day and age, because we live in a self-centered culture, right? And so we always think, what does this mean about me? And what Jesus is trying to do in all of our lives is not what does it mean about me? What does it mean about Jesus? And what does it mean about being part of something bigger than myself, the people of God? I think maturity happens in the life of someone who follows Jesus when they get out of, this is what I want. This is the way I think it needs to be. This is what is my preference. When you say, what does this mean about God? And what's the bigger story? See, Jesus says, listen, rejoice in me. See, not only is your reward in heaven great, but they also persecuted many people before you. 
And if you read your Bible, you see all sorts of people who believed in God, who followed God relentlessly, and who got severely persecuted. Like, one a great example of this is Moses, right? So Moses not only got in a lot of trouble with the Pharaoh, but that was just the beginning of the struggles, because then he was trying to bring the children of Israel through the wilderness, so, like, we love to hike, you know, and so our kids, you know, Obadiah is 13 and Maranatha is 10 and Annabelle's four. It can be pretty stressful to go hiking with a three smaller kids, right? Because it's kind of like you go hiking and there's like a path and then there's where your kids want to be. <laughs> Which is in every patch of poison oak, every river bed. You know, it's like we hiked all through the winter. So we don't, I mean, it's like we live in the Northwest. So it's like rain, what's rain? It's water from heaven, you know? And so it's like you go hiking and Annabelle wearing her new shoes. And, she, and of course, if there's a puddle, what is she going to do? She's going to jump in it. And so it's not enough just for her to get dirty. It's for everyone to get dirty with her, you know? Because if you're not paying attention, it happens. Now, and you can imagine, like, I remember in the beginning, me and Lynn, we'd start hiking and, and the kids would go in three different directions. And in the beginning, it was cool. Like, we grab hands like, hey, how are you? What's your name? You know? Because it's like if you're a married couple and you got little kids, you don't really see each other as much or can focus. And it's nice for a second until you realize, like, where'd they go? You know, like, where are these people? You know what I mean? And then you finally find them. And who's running all over the place? And then before you know it, your nice leisurely stroll and the beautiful trails of where we live, all of a sudden, you're just stressed out. You know, or at least I am. And then you imagine Moses with a million people in the wilderness. It makes total sense why Moses was like, Lord, will you just kill me right now? <laughs> like, Lord, just take me home. I, I cannot, will not do this not one more second. And all that went on for Moses. I mean, Moses was challenged on every side. But listen, but Moses was God's man. The disciples were challenged. I mean, do you ever think about what it was like for the early church? From the time that Jesus was crucified and resurrected, ascended into heaven, sent forth the Spirit, for almost 300 years, the church was severely persecuted until it became the official religion of the Roman Empire. When someone says something negative to you because you post a two-minute message on your Facebook page, it's like, at least you didn't get dipped in wax and lit on fire like people did. That's what happened. You read the stories of Christians who were, had animal skins placed over them and placed in the Colosseum for sport for the Roman Empire. You read stories about people like the apostle Peter, who when they wanted, when the Roman Empire wanted to kill him, he said, please don't crucify me the way you did Jesus. Can you crucify me upside down? And they said, okay. So when someone comes against you because of your faith in Jesus, remember, you're not the only one. You're part of a great cloud of witnesses who, in their faith in Jesus, struggled. And what's really the hard thing that we have? Someone unfriends us on Facebook? <gasps> you know, like... One of your family members says, will you stop talking to me about Jesus? I mean, like, we're not the only ones. And listen, I quoted James quote Peter here. I'm going to quote a couple more people for you. This is, this is the apostle Paul in second Timothy chapter three, verses 10 to 12. But you, Paul is speaking to Timothy, but you have carefully followed my doctrine or my teachings, my truth, the manner of life, purpose, faith, long suffering, love, and perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me in Antioch at Iconium at Lystra, what persecutions I have endured. 
And out of them all, the Lord has delivered to me, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Do you hear what Paul says to Timothy? He's like, look, we've been in this together. You saw all the good things and you saw all the suffering, all the persecutions, all the afflictions. And not only in one spot, he's like, look, you saw what happened to me in Antioch and in Iconium and in Lystra. He's like, look, I got me a rap sheet of persecution. You saw it all. And guess what? Not only did the Lord deliver me out of them, but everyone who's following Jesus is going to suffer like this. You're not the only one. Listen, what can somebody do to you truly? I had this really funny experience. So I have a friend. She's now actually my sister-in-law, which is the coolest thing ever. You know what I mean? But it's like, she was a good friend of mine and she wasn't a Christian and I was bugging her like a lot. Like every time we talk, we, you know, talking about Jesus and, and I, well, I was talking about Jesus and she was like, will you stop talking about Jesus? I'm like, no, 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 you know? And I remember one day she was making dinner and, and she was, you know, chopping up these vegetables and I just come back from church and I was just like feeling the Jesus love like real personally. Right. And so like she's chopping vegetables. I'm just sitting there like excited, singing worship tunes, my heart bugging her. And if I, she's like, you know, I am so sick and tired. You're always talking about Jesus. I am not a believer in Jesus. I am not a follower of Jesus. Will you just stop it? I'm like, well, you just should be a Christian. It's just a matter of time. You know, like I'm just being, being me. And then finally she's like, I'm going to stab you right now. She takes this knife. She goes like this. I'm like, good. I'll get to go home with be with Jesus. And she was just like, ah, <laughs> poor girl. I bugged her right into the kingdom. Literally. Cause she got saved like two months later. She married Lynn's brother. It's super cool. You know, we still laugh about that, but it's like, it's like, what's the worst that happens? You get stabbed while someone's cutting up vegetables. You get to go home and be with Jesus. I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus, for you to live as Christ and to die as you know, I'm not, I mean, I was being facetious. I really didn't want to go home to be with Jesus at that moment. But like, what's the worst that could really happen? And if the worst that you can imagine really happens to you, you have to realize you're not the only one. It happened to a lot of people before you got there. A lot of people experience martyrdom before you put your faith and trust in Jesus. So what's the problem? And then, of course, John, just to round out all the apostolic authors, 1 John chapter 3, verse 13 says, Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Now, I love that. Don't marvel. Like, don't be shocked if you follow Jesus and people don't like that. Because guess what? People, you can find someone who hates everything in this life. Like, I'm always amazed. I meet people, I'll talk about eating Twinkies. They're like, that's disgusting. I'm like, you're sick. I mean, how could you hate a Twinkie? <laughs> Yellow cake, sweet frosting. I mean, like, how can you be down on a Twinkie? Like, well, I'm gluten free. I'm like, well, gluten nothing, you know? Like, it's like, how could you not like a Twinkie? But there are people, I hate the Twinkies. You know, you can find someone who hates everything. You could be like, man, you should love people. I was just talking to someone about this just a couple minutes ago. I'm like, man, God loves people. But I'm like, God loves people. You know, but they're Christian. Mm -hmm. Yes, ma'am. It's like people hate whatever they hate. So don't marvel if you follow Jesus. You're not the only one. But when you realize that you're part of something bigger, it changes everything. You start to realize this isn't just about me. God's doing something. So now to put this ninth beatitude 
That we're joyful when we're challenged. That we're not the only one. Then to link it to the ninth characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit. It's simple. Self-control allows you to rejoice in sufferings. Self-control allows you to rejoice in sufferings. See, don't you think it's cool? Like, it makes sense that in the order of these things that when you get persecuted and slandered and self-control, it's the last characteristic. Could you imagine if Jesus put those first? Oh, how happy is the person who gets persecuted? The fruit of the spirit is self-control. Uh, no thank you. Right? But self-control, is, it's a powerful idea because really self-control, it speaks possessing the power or the mastery or the possession of the ability to control your own countenance and your own heart in the midst of whatever goes on. Now, what is important to make the distinction, because if you read the self-help books that are out today, or if you, you know, like all these things, there's a lot of discussion about self-mastery. It's in the business world. They talk about the need for emotional intelligence and how important that is in the workplace, not negating these things. But this is not you white-knuckling something to make it through to do something good. This is not what this is. Because there's a place for that. Like, listen, like my friend who had lung issues and wouldn't smoke. Like, you need a white knuckle to stop smoking. And listen, if you're here today and you're smoking, stop it. Right now. Here's why. God created your lungs to breathe oxygen to be able to give energy to your whole body. Not for smoke of any sort. And not vaping either. I always meet one of you young people, well, vaping is so much better, not better than oxygen. So don't ruin those lungs. Now, someone might say, well... If I smoke cigarettes, it's not going to keep me out of heaven. It might get you there quicker. And I think God wants to do something better than you than you kill your lungs in the midst. I'm just going to say that. And I say that as someone who my mom was a smoker. She died of lung cancer. Okay? So I don't want you to die. I don't want to have to go to your funeral because you were smoking. That's a side note. But my friend who was smoking, it takes self-control not to pick up a cigarette when you have a habit of doing it. It does. But Jesus isn't talking about good old-fashioned white knuckling. See, the self-control that is the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. Really what it means, it means when the Spirit of God takes such control and influence in your life that in the face of temptation, now all of a sudden, that temptation is met with the conviction of the Holy Spirit where when we're convicted not to give into that temptation and then we meet that conviction with repentance and we turn and we walk away. That's what this self-control is. This is the Spirit of God having the authority in your life to say there is a more excellent way to live than the way that you're wanting to live right now. See, the self-control, this is not you doing a better job. It's us learning how to surrender our lives more substantially to the work of the Spirit because He wants to guide you into the beautiful life of faith that's in Christ. Jesus is real. Temptation is always going to be found in this life. The enemy wants to pull you off track, and he'll use any and all means necessary to do it. Today, Pastor Daniel encouraged you to develop and exercise self-control, but to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Something distracting comes your way. You can bring it to the feet of Jesus and with his strength, walk away from it. 
Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us today for Jesus is Real Radio. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth that really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Today's message brought Pastor Daniel's beautiful series to a close. Throughout these messages, Daniel has been reminding you to look at yourself and the world through God's eyes. Through the lens of grace, there is beauty to behold everywhere because you're now living a new life in Jesus. As you studied the Beatitudes and fruit of the Spirit, we hope you discovered how blessed this life with Jesus can truly be. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio. Jesus is Real Radio.